An essential oil room spray sold at the Pekin Walmart has been recalled for its connection to illnesses. A Bloomington apartment fire leaves one dead and five hurt. More on these stories, I'm Sierra Henry. I'm Kelsey Watsonauer. And this is Lee Enterprises Long Story Short. Good evening, everyone, and thank you so much for tuning into this week's episode of Long Story Short, where we recap Central Illinois news from Lee Enterprises journalists. Okay, I'm really sorry that we missed out last week. Kelsey and I both had some really great Sunday pieces that we were working on that we just couldn't get the podcast done. I'm sorry, that's just what happens when you have both of us working on really in-depth stories at the same time but i think they both came out really well so if you want to check them out they're both at pantograph.com mine was about tattoos and tattoo artists in bloomington and kelsey's was about barbershops but it didn't go up yet it's coming out next weekend (laughs) so stay tuned all right uh kelsey's gonna take it from here and we're gonna talk about some updates in the jelani day case in the last two weeks jelani day's family laid him to rest in danville before leading a march through peru calling for justice in this case if you recall from earlier podcasts jelani was reported missing out of bloomington on august 25th and he was found dead in the illinois river on september 4th in the LaSalle, peru area on monday the the LaSalle County Coroner released the cause of death opinion from the forensic pathologist who said Jelani died by drowning. In the autopsy report obtained by the Panagraph through the Freedom of Information Act, the pathologist determined no evidence of assault, altercation, sharp, blunt, or gunshot injury were found. Dave's family has been adamant in their belief that he was murdered and he did not go into that river by choice. They've called upon the FBI and the state attorney general to take the lead on the investigation. However, the Peru police chief told the Panagraph when it was asked, the FBI declined to take the lead. We are following this case closely, bringing as many updates to you as we can, so be sure to find all of our reporting at Panagraph.com. And I believe it's uh, been shared across our three websites as well. So it's also at Herald-Review.com and JG-TC.com. All right, so let's uh, take take us into some business, agriculture, nature type news, Sierra. What's up with the worms? An invasive worm species has made its way into central Illinois fields, and the damages they're causing could be serious. Alabama jumping worms have been found in several counties, including Macon, DeWitt, Sangamon, Effingham, Peoria, Taswell, and Champaign. But don't be fooled by their cute name. These worms are pushing out the Illinois native earthworm population, which is critical to the health of the state's soil. The worms are native to Southeast Asia and were spotted in Wisconsin in 2014, which begs the question as to why they're called the Alabama jumping worms. Um, But I digress. They were likely brought to the United States on plants as they lay thousands of microscopic eggs in their roots. To read more about this issue and what Illinois farmers are having to do to get rid of these worms, you can read Valerie Wells' full story at herald-review.com. I believe it also ran in the Panagraph and JG-TC. So if you want to uh, find this story, you can check out any of our three websites. Okay, Kelsey's going to talk about the commercial truck driving shortage in Decatur, which ironically enough, we are doing a story on for Sunday, not the truck driving, but for the labor shortage in general. And um, we have done several stories about shortages across all the industries, but this one's about truck driving in Decatur. So Kelsey, take it away. We really hit most of it. (laughs) 
National labor issues have been compounded by changes to state laws regarding commercial truck drivers, and Decatur is definitely feeling that impact. The shortage of CDL drivers was an issue before the pandemic, which workforce development officials at Richland Community College told Herald Herald and Review reporter Valerie Wells last week. But as wider labor shortages affect more industries, these drivers are being needed for everything from Amazon to school bus companies. New state laws require individuals to go to a registered training provider and take 240 hours of training as opposed to the 160 hours that are required now. That means the process takes a couple weeks longer, and while it's not a bad thing to put safer, better trained drivers on the road, the industry is being strained by this shortage, thus impacting several other industries as well. Valerie went in-depth on this issue, so to read more, be sure to find her report at herald-review.com. And look out for more coverage of national national labor shortages across the industries on all of our websites in the coming weeks. All right, uh, let's move into some local government. Big news coming out of Bloomington. What's up, Sierra? The Bloomington City Council narrowly appointed local business owner D. Urban to represent Ward 6. Urban was nominated for the position, which has been vacant for nearly two months after a search that has received criticism from several Bloomington residents and council members. After a 30-minute public comment period in which several Ward 6 residents spoke against the selection, the council approved the nomination 5-4 with Mayor Mamoka Milwamble casting the tie-breaking vote. Alderman Julie Emig, Jamie Matthew, Molly Ward and Jeff Crable voted against the appointment, citing that the council should appoint someone that fits the candidate that the residents elected in 2019. Urban, who is an owner of Alley Cat Antiques in Bloomington, has served on the West Side Revitalization Project and the Bloomington Cannabis Task Force. She will serve out the remaining years of the former Ward 6 alderperson Jen Carrillo, who resigned in August after being unable to find housing in Ward 6. You can find my full story at paintograph.com to read more about what people had to say about the nomination and more. The Normaltown Council took steps toward its first accessible playground last week, approving new equipment and surfacing for Cardin Park. The five-acre park in North Normal is used by students at Prairie Land Elementary and Principal Scott Peters said they are absolutely thrilled to have an inclusive playground that allows those with limited mobility the opportunity to play. The new equipment and servicing is estimated to cost just under $180,000, and this equipment replacement vote came about five months after students from Grove and Parkside Elementary Schools wrote letters to Mayor Chris Coos and spoke to the council asking for more accessibility in parks. Cardin is the first, but the town plans to move towards more accessible play areas as equipment replacements arise. To read more on the playground and for full coverage of the council meeting, you can check out my story at panagraph.com. All right, um, let's move into some health news. Taswell County officials are urging anyone who purchased a lavender-scented Better Homes and Garden room spray from the Pekin Walmart this year to stop using it immediately. The essential oil-infused aromatherapy room spray has been tied to a bacterial illness outbreak that's hit 18 states so far, according to the CDC. Two people, including one child, have died from complications related to the illness, which is an infection that comes after exposure to a rare bacteria, federal health officials said, was found in the brand's lavender and chamomile room sprays. Walmart has removed 
3,900 bottles of the spray off its website and shelves at the 55 stores where it was sold in the United States. People are urged to not open the bottle and to not throw away or dispose of it in the regular trash and to double bag the bottle in clean, clear Ziploc bags and place it in a cardboard box to return to Walmart. Surfaces that have come in contact with the spray should be washed and any symptoms of illness should be reported to a primary doctor. To read more, find Lindsay Jones' story at Panagraph.com. This week, health reporter Lindsay Jones investigated the impact of the coronavirus pandemic on cancer screenings and early detection. Early detection is key for many cancer survivors, and what Lindsay found this week is that putting off yearly screenings because of the pandemic can be outright dangerous. She reported the pandemic's impact on screenings, diagnoses, and chemotherapy treatment could lead to nearly 2,500 excess breast cancer deaths by 2030 in the United States, a statistic predicted in a report published by the Journal of National Cancer Institute. In a report published by the Journal of the National Cancer Institute, to learn more about how hospitals are preventing cancer through screening during the pandemic, you'd find Lindsay's full story at panagraph.com. Okay, let's move into some education meets some kind of courts news. Almost 150 school districts across Illinois are named as defendants in a lawsuit filed by Greenville-based attorney Thomas DeVore, representing hundreds of parents fighting against COVID-19 mitigation efforts. Mattoon, El Paso, Gridley, Prairie Central, and Eureka School districts are among the plaintiffs in the suit that says districts cannot exclude students as close contacts without a quarantine order or modified quarantine order and cannot require masks without a quarantine order. Gore gained prominence last year when he represented state rep Darren Bailey in his lawsuit against Pritzker. For the full lawsuit and to follow as schools face COVID issues, you can find Connor Woods reporting at Panagraph.com. People born in the digital age have never known life without tablets, computers, internet, or other forms of convenient technology. But for other generations who grew up with rotary phones, no cable TV, and a time before computers, catching up in the digital age can be quite difficult, if not daunting, to some. Several Macon County organizations have stepped up to bridge this digital divide and teach digital media literacy to those who are struggling with learning how to use newer forms of technology. To learn about what type of classes are being offered and how younger generations are teaching their grandparents and parents how to use tech, you can find Valerie Wells' story at herald-review.com. All right, let's talk college basketball, Sierra. Your favorite topic. Is it my favorite topic, Kelsey? Or is it your favorite topic? Uh, preseason rankings that came out last week put the Illinois State men's basketball at the bottom of the Missouri Valley Conference based on a poll of league coaches, sports information directors, and media. ISU finished last for the first time in 17 years last season with a 4-14 league mark and a 7-18 overall. Head coach Dan Muller said he wasn't concerned about where the team landed on the poll. This season, he's feeling good about how his big players are progressing, including senior Cy Chapman and junior Ryan Schmidt. The two have been competing in the two have been competitive in practice, working to earn as much time on the floor as they can get, looking forward to the season opener against Missouri State at Redbird Arena on December 1st. Muller said he expects a few conference players to be a challenge for Chapman and Schmidt, but the roster is stocked with other players hoping to hold their own in the posts as well. Panagraph reporter Jim Benson has a few stories looking ahead at the Redbird season, so be sure to check those out at panagraph.com. 
The Fighting Illini came out of the polls closer to the middle of the pack, ranking number 11 in the Associated Press Top 25. Last season, they started at number 8 in the nation and ended in the number 2 spot. Since then, te- since then the team lost All-American point guard Iota Sunmo and forward Georgie, Georgie Beshanishvili to the NBA, while, while former starting guard Adam Miller transferred to LSU. This season's outlook has had the Illini on the AP Top 25 for the last 21 consecutive weeks, and Coach Brad Underwood said the pieces will start coming together as the team adjusts to filling their new roles. The team's headlined by center Kofi Cockburn and point guard Andre Corbello, and this season Illinois added two key transfers as well, 6'1 guard Alfonso Plummer coming from Utah and 6'10 forward Omar Payne from Florida. Saturday night, the Illini will host NAIA St. Francis in an exhibition at the State Farm Center. So catch all of the latest out of U of I, plus updates on Asumo's outlook with the Chicago Bulls from James Boyd at herald-review.com. Now let's go into some public safety and courts news. Sierra, take it away. Bloomington police are investigating an apartment fire that left one person dead and five injured last week. 62-year-old Tyrone Hoy was pronounced dead at the scene after Bloomington firefighters extinguished the flames in the 600 block of West Market Street. Autopsy results found Hoy died of carbon monoxide intoxication caused by the inhalation of smoke from the fire. Police are investigating the fire under suspicious circumstances, according to a news release. Eight adults in total were displaced by the fire. To read the full story, find Kelsey Watsonauer and Connor Woods reports at Pantograph.com. A Macon County jury found Jason A. White, who's 31, guilty of killing 22-year-old Zachary Hubbard of Windsor in 2017. Hubbard was found in an abandoned house in the 20 in the 1200 block of East Condit Street with multiple gunshot wounds. Prosecutors said White lured Hubbard to Decatur for a deal to purchase to purchase marijuana before killing him and taking $5,000. White was found guilty of first-degree murder and not guilty of armed robbery. A sentencing hearing is scheduled for December 7th, so to read more, find the full report at herald-review.com. A jury found the former owner of Roman Medical Center in Normal guilty of institutional negligence in the death of Linda Smith and was ordered to award her estate $9.1 million in damages this week. The verdict came after a years-long court battle between Smith and the hospital after Smith learned necessary medical information did not make it to her doctor. In 2014, a report indicating a hypodensity on Smith's pancreas and request for an additional MRI testing never made it to Smith's doctors. Smith was then diagnosed with pancreatic cancer two years later, which had metastasized to her lungs by 2017. To read the full story, find Lindsay Jones' report at pantograph.com. A murder for hire case came out of rural Tazewell County this week. In a fatal shooting, 51-year-old Rebecca Bolin was pronounced dead last Friday at her rural Mackinac residence. 52-year-old Douglas Bolin was critically wounded and taken to a local hospital. Sage Ruber, who's 19, and Nathaniel Maloney, 18, are charged with first-degree murder, and at least one juvenile was also charged in this case. Details are slowly coming out as the investigations continue, so be sure to follow Kate Heather's reporting at Panagraph.com. Alrighty, now let's move into some community news. Hey, Central Illinois foodies. If you love finding a good local restaurant, you might want to start following Olivia Jacobs' Eats of the Week feature. Each week, Olivia profiles a restaurant in McLean County and how they got started. This week, she spoke with Jimmy Mapuge, 
who owns the Grand Cafe in Bloomington. The Chinese restaurant was first opened by Lam Bing in June 1921 at 204 North Center Street, and for several years it was the only Chinese restaurant in the area. It was eventually passed down through the family before it was sold to Jimmy in 2017, and of course, this year is its 100th anniversary. Uh, last week, Olivia spoke with the owners of Pope Works and Crafted Bar and Crafted Coffee Brews in Bloomington. Uh, if you want to read about these delicious restaurants, you can find Olivia's stories at panagraph.com. Also, if you have any suggestions for future stories, you can email her at ojacobs at panagraph.com. I really enjoy reading East of the Week. I like to go to all the different local restaurants in Bloomington Normal. So, um... Yeah, actually, Olivia got to bring, she got some complimentary egg rolls and she shared them with us yesterday morning or earlier this week. I don't know. Time is irrelevant. <laughs> and um, they were so good. I want to go uh, the next time my partner's in town. We're definitely going to go to the Grand Cafe. Have anything to say? Um, I thought I did. Um, but yeah, I really like supporting local restaurants as well. Um, anytime I'm thinking about going to a place and I remember that Olivia wrote about it, I just read her little feature real quick and get an idea of what they're about. Also, I love that it's called Eats of the Week. For a while, it was like they she was switching between Bar of the Week and Restaurant of the Week, and now it's just Eats of the Week, and it's I just it's such a cute it's name. Cute. It's cute, and there's a little silver platter that is like, a, like a, the tagline for it, so uh, it's so fun. Um, again, if you have any story suggestions, e- Olivia's email is O Jacobs, J-A-C-O-B-S at pantograph.com. And that's going to do it for us today, folks. As always, if you're enjoying this podcast and are reporting, check us out on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or Google Podcasts. While you're at it, head on over to pantograph.com, herald-review.com, and jg-tc.com to look up subscription information and consider supporting hashtag local journalism.